0: Hey, No Barriers podcast listeners, welcome to our new weekly alchemy series. Our motto, what's within you is stronger than what's in your way, is more relevant now than ever before in light of COVID-19. We'll be featuring thought leaders and experts in harnessing adversity. They'll provide practical guidance, hope, and optimism during these uncertain times. We're delivering each episode in two formats, a condensed version and a full version. And each episode comes with a practical tip sheet so you can apply these lessons right away. Let's power through this pandemic and come out stronger together. The Alchemy series is made possible through the generous support of two longtime partners of No Barriers, Wells Fargo and Prudential. Thank you so much for your support. Mm-hmm. You do realize
1: that, like, it is through adversity. Adversity serves as the ink with which you're writing your narrative, the human narrative. So what do you want your pandemic story to be? Do you want to look back on these days and tell this flatliner story of how you just kind of got by? How you just sort of hunkered down and weathered it? Or do you want to say something more? Do you want to be more? Do you want to use this in some ways towards something worthy?
2: It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. In that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call No Barriers.
0: Today we meet Dr. Paul G. Stoltz, who is considered one of the world's leading authorities on the subjects of grit and resilience. He's written five international best-selling books, including The Adversity Advantage, co-written with host Eric Weimar. Dr. Stoltz has served as faculty for MIT, Carnegie Mellon, Harvard Business School, and many others. He is the founder and CEO of Peak Learning and the founder and managing director of the Grit Institute and the Global Resilience Institute. Dr. Stoltz's grit and AQ are the most widely adopted methods of their kind in the world for measurably enhancing one's resilience, agility, and grit currently in use by industry leading experts, top institutions, and many governments in 137 countries across six continents. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to our first installment of our new weekly No Barriers podcast series, where we will speak about this extraordinary moment in our lives, while remaining true to the original theme of our No Barriers podcast, which is what's within you is stronger than what's in your way, something I think we all need to be reminded of right now. Special thanks to Prudential and Wells Fargo for their support of this podcast series. Well, I'm thrilled to have Dr. Paul Stoltz with us today to talk about how we can all break through the adversities in front of us. I know we're going to leave with some very practical advice, some good stories, some things that we can take into our own work and our lives and perhaps to our families. But I thought to get started, I wanted to ask uh, my co-host, Eric Weimer, a question. Uh, Eric, you've faced what many would perceive as an incredible amount of adversity in your own life. You lost your vision as a teenager, lost your mom at a young age, and then went on to become a global adventurer, reaching the seven summits, kayaking the full length of the Grand Canyon and many other feats, most of which we can't imagine even if we're cited. Um, and so when you sat down, though, to write a book about how you break through adversity, something you've done over and over in your own life, you chose Dr. Paul Stoltz as your co-author. Can you tell us why?
2: Yeah, I was in my 30s, and I'd done a lot of athletic you know, expeditions, mountain climbing and kayaking, all kinds of things. But I didn't have the context, Dave. You know, I didn't know how to put my life and the things I had done into a context that could, I could take away and understand like, you know, uh, behaviors within myself, um, but also how to pass that on to others as sort of some universal thoughts and tips and ideas that others could use as value to their lives. So um, I was reading this book called The Adversity Quotient and Um, and I was mentioned in there and I was like, wow, I'm sort of like one of the exemplars that this guy uses. And then I studied his work and it was Paul Stoltz and he is the leading expert and scientist around adversity, around resiliency has come up with an incredible measuring tool called adversity quotient to measure people's relationship with adversity. And I thought, this is a guy we got to team up. So we were like a, a Reese's peanut butter cup, you know, like I was the chocolate and Paul was the peanut butter. And we kind of decided to combine this idea of experience with science and see where they met in the middle. And it was an incredible exploration, incredible growth in my life. And I was really honored to to meet Paul and get to know him really well and his family. And now, um, Paul, your work is never so relevant, right, in this crisis.
1: Mm, gosh, hey, guys. It's so great to join you and your your audience out there in this incredibly Seismic moment for humanity, right? I mean, who would have guessed? I mean, as you know, I've been uh, obsessed for the past 40 years of my life trying to really, you know, I kind of view myself as an excavator. I've been trying to dig down to what I would kind of call the bedrock of human endeavor. I've always, you know, listened to people talk kind of glibly about, you know, here are the five things you need to succeed, or whatever it is, or even parents giving kids advice, or teachers, or whomever. And I always thought, if we know this stuff, why don't we do this stuff? Like, why don't we live this stuff? It's like healthcare, right? I mean, how many people know what they're supposed to do and don't do it? So I thought, what's underneath this? Well, what's underneath what's underneath and. That led to this work, as you know, Eric and Dave, and and I'll tell you, I certainly don't have to spell the word adversity for anyone today. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Everybody gets it instantly. So I, I'm just, I feel like I've spent the past 40 years of my life preparing for this moment when we need it most. So, what a perfect time for us to get together.
2: We're going to talk about a lot of adversity and resiliency and stuff, but I wanted to like hit you with a left field question. So, what is the adversity expert doing right now? Like, how are you living? You know, you're in your house, you're quarantined, kind of like the rest of us. And like, what's your day look like? And then, how are you dealing with this situation personally?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you something that risks offending a lot of people, which is I don't think I've ever been more fired up. <laughs> I mean, I really I really am just fired up. I'm fired up in so many ways because I think this just is an immense opportunity for each and every one of us to kind of hit the reset button on, on so much stuff about our habits and our health and our priorities and how we spend our time and the waste of time and, and all of that and also our contribution to others. And our selfishness and our materialism and all the kinds of things that we get kind of sucked into in times of comfort and times of of ease. And so for me, you know, when it comes down to it, I'll tell you exactly what I'm doing. My epicenter of all this is my lovely bride, Rhonda, to whom I've been married for 30 years, which shows she has an exceptional adversity quotient, for that to be true, and a lot of grit. But she is a triple threat. I mean, you've never met a bigger life force. Anybody healthier and more vibrant, as you know, you know her. But she she has MS, although she has no visible symptoms. She's in the age category. And she's had multiple cases of pneumonia because she pushed herself too hard when she was a young single mother. So priority one, keep her 100% protected in a good way. Right. So that's priority one. So what do we do with that? Well, what we did is we said, let's pick a place that's you know inspiring and healthy, where we can do that, where it's a natural act to do that. That's what we've chosen to do. So we're, we're in a spot where we can be outside every day and where we can get fresh air and it can be healthy. She has absolutely no physical contact with other, any other human beings. I do the foraging for the food in an incredibly meticulous and antiseptic way. I'm obsessively careful about it, have been for weeks. And then each of us professionally has really geared up. Um, She's doing a ton of outreach to a lot of people because a lot of people turn to her for inspiration and energy and hope and she's serving that up in real ways. And for me being in the line of work that I'm in, being the adversity guy, I guess, I've been just spending really long, meaningful days uh, in connection with so many different leaders and companies and people, uh, kind of meeting them where they are. And that can be from panic and anxiety all the way up to how do we save our global business all the way to I'm freaking out and going crazy with my kids or just having real conversations about how do we navigate this storm in the most meaningful way. So. Uh, my day is really, really rewarding, and I, I'm I, I'm loving this personally, um, and I'm just trying to help people every way I can because I know the worst is yet to come. So I'm trying to help people keep their stuff together as they prepare for this slow-moving
0: tsunami to come our way. Well, Paul, you're going to be uh, talking about some real practical ways people can think about the adversity in front of us and some of the things that you've learned over the years uh, that people could apply to their own lives. But I I love the way you started off by saying, we know this, but we don't do it. And that that is something that has always fascinated you. We know how to, how to work through adversities like these, but we don't often do the things we already know how to do. And so before we get into like what it is we should all be doing to get hmm. through this, tell us why don't we do the stuff that we know we should be doing? A lot of it's because it's uncomfortable
1: and it's hard. And because there's a there's a great sort of Latin term called memento mori, which means the vibrant, ever-present realization, you're going to die. And so when you come to terms with the reality that, there's an end game. Yeah. And if you really take that head on, kind of enter the storm on that truth, what would you be doing differently? You know, and it's sort of like what I say to a lot of people about this pandemic, about COVID-19 is you do realize that like it is through adversity. Adversity serves as the ink with which you're writing your narrative, the human narrative. So what do you want your pandemic story to be? Do you want to look back on these days and tell this flatliner story of how you just kind of got by? How you survived it? How you just sort of hunkered down and weathered it? Or do you want to say something more? Do you want to tell do you want to be more? Do you want to use this in some ways that you go, you know, honestly, I mean this sounds so glib you guys, but What if the narrative kind of started with, thank God for the pandemic, because without that, I never would have dot, 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 fill in the blank, whatever that is. And so I think that's the aspiration we can all have, honestly, is to kind of say, not how do you survive this, but how do you use it? And hopefully, how to use it towards something worthy And if everybody did that, then this could be a really meaningful chapter for humankind. And I don't know. I'm trying to do my tiny little part of that. But I hope more and more of us will as well. That's kind of what it's
2: like. Adversity and demeaning. Okay, that's like pretty higher level stuff there. Most people, like I'm just hanging talking on the phone with my buddy. And he's like listening to CNN and freaking out. So how Um, do you? deal with most people's perception which is like holy shit like the world's you know the sky is falling the world's coming to an end as we know it how do you how does your work deal with that part of the human brain and i'm not saying the world actually isn't in a huge crisis but how do we how do we use it as a motivating force rather than just getting absolutely floored by it
1: there's so much in that question eric thanks for asking it i there really is i mean you know, I, as you guys know, one of the things I've been doing, maybe for my own sanity, but hopefully to help others, is every single day, and My promise is every single day, I do a fresh kind of, you know, off-roading little micro video on LinkedIn that I just send out about all the little ways in which we can apply AQ and grit and 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 you know, really harness this adversity. And I there each one's like a minute, minute and a half per day. And the reason I mention that is because the first one, Eric, I mean, that really I had to do like five times because I, I couldn't make it through. The theme of it is, have you cried yet? And the reason I say that is because one of the mistaken uh, notions of someone with an extraordinary adversity quotient is that they don't feel pain. You know, it's like they, they just kind of skirt right past it and everything's great. And you know, it's all about upside. It's quite the opposite. I think in many ways people with high IQs like you have Eric, you know, they, y- you got to go to your greatest depths if you want to operate from your highest heights. And so I think for everybody to just pause and absorb this for a moment and just let it sink in the sheer magnitude yeah. of the suffering and, and struggle and pain and loss for a moment. Let yourself have some tears for God's sake, because it's so cathartic. And then and then you sort of spring cleaned your soul. And from there, then, then you can do all the things that we're talking about, guys. Cause this is not time for motivational pep talks. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, that's like a freaking, you know, spiritual cup of coffee. When it wears off, you desperately need another cup. Sure. And there just comes a no- time where there's just not enough. You know, this has to come from deep within. So I can't think of anything more foundational, honestly. And I know I'm deeply biased by drinking my own Kool-Aid, but I can't think of anything much more foundational than just really having a deep get-real conversation with self about your own personal relationship with adversity because you know the main notion of my work is really you know that the event is one thing but the response is everything and at this time in life in history if we could do one thing and one thing only which is to begin to really master our our core response to this and any and all adversity I mean, whew. Yeah. Can you guys think of anything more potent or important than that?
0: Oh, that's powerful, man. I I think that that whole idea of uh, you know, when this kind of thing hits uh or any kind of a big adversity, uh me, I'm the first to say, I just sort of try to plug through it and to pause and think about to allow yourself to feel the emotion and go to the depth of that emotion. Creates a release of of energy that then enables you to start moving forward and seeing the 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 opportunity or seeing where you can channel your energy best. and one of the things I've really appreciated about your work, Paul, is you know one, you've traveled all over the world many times over uh, trying to understand what it takes for people to really break through big challenges and big adversities. and so Walk us through some of those things that you've learned um, and that you teach others uh, that we could practically apply to our own lives. You've given us one already. Like, don't gloss over the fact that you got to feel, you got to let that feeling out. But what what are those other practical tools we can use to get started moving forward through this? Yeah. Well,
2: wait, we used to, I remember I was really, that was a fascinating part of the book we wrote together, was this idea of, you know, like you're walking down the street, you stub your toe, right? And blood's gushing <laughs> everywhere. High IQ doesn't mean like, oh, wow, that's a great moment for opportunity for growth. No, like, <laughs> you got to like challenge your fists and, 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 and cry and put a Band-Aid on that gushing wound before you're able to pick yourself up, right? I mean, so um, I really yeah. like that you're talking about validation there, right? I mean, like, it's okay to like, have a little pity party. We had a guest actually talking about that a couple months ago, this idea of her and her son, her son was severely disabled. He would look out the window and watch this kid, the kids ride bikes and he couldn't do it. And they're like, okay, mom said, we're going to have a pity party. We're going to eat pizza and watch sad movies and we're going to cry. And then tomorrow we're going to, we're going to figure <laughs> out a solution to this. So we're going to try to move forward. I, I, I love that. That's very human. I'm glad you talked about that.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it, let's be honest, guys. I mean, the physical virus is one thing, but the emotional virus is arguably the greatest danger. And it could be a danger to our national security. It certainly can be danger to people's sanity and well-being. It can be a danger to relationships. It can be danger to, to the narrative that we're writing right now. So, you know, I think it starts step one. I mean, I want to talk about core because, Eric, you and I, you know, spent some time decoding this around your 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 story in such a wonderful way. But, you know, what it starts with, I, I mean, the example I would use, guys, is yesterday I was coaching uh, my Olympic team. They're the U.S. men's uh, wrestling, national wrestling team, you know, and here they are. I mean, imagine you're an Olympian. You've dedicated your whole life, everything you got, everything, your family, all of it. it put all your other dreams on hold, and then this hits. And and you qualify. Like, for your weight class, you qualified and now you're an Eric, you know, you're a wrestler, you were national. And, and now you're, you're being told wait a year, you know, what do you do with that? So that's for step one on all this guys to me. And I try to apply this to myself every day is you got to have a really grippy aspiration. I don't mean something lofty, you know, like I'm gonna achieve greatness out of the pandemic. You know that that's great. Sounds really good. Put it on your bathroom mirror if it makes you feel good. Uh-huh. You know, but but what I was saying to these guys is, I said, you know, the mantra I've kind of tried to create for my life is just two words: ever better. And if at the end of it's so simple to measure, because you know what, in your gut, I mean, at the end of the day, when you put your head on that pillow. Just ask yourself, you know, how did I be? What did I do today to become an ever better human being? What did I do today to become an an ever better father or husband or athlete? What did I do today to create an ever better contribution in the world, to have my existence be even more positive for for those around me? If you, you either got an answer or you don't. It's binary, you know? You can't BS yourself on this stuff. And so you know it in your gut if you did, and you know it in your gut if you didn't. And the good news is you got tomorrow. You get another shot if you're lucky enough, right? But if you, the power of incremental incrementalism is overwhelming. I mean, just look at what happens to money if it grows incrementally over decades, right? Look what happens. To to a person's health if they get gradually stronger every day. You know, look what happens to yourself and, and your existence on this planet if you live by that mantra. What are you gonna do to be even better, ever better a year from now than you even are today? And as a team, most importantly, what can this team be doing right now with this to be ever better as a team and as a representative of our nation? by the time the Olympics come, because we have a lot of ground to gain between then. And imagine how powerful that answer could be cumulatively over the course of a year. So step one, you know, guys, to just have every day, just try, just try to be ever better, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: I know you're going to be imperfect at it, start there, but then it comes down to the struggle, Eric. You know, the stuff we talk about, the adversity and hardships you face along the way, everything, because life's going to conspire against that happening. You know, and so for that, it comes down to your core. And what we found is, you know, imagine, you know, here I am, this guy who's measured a million people's adversity quotients around the world, including the president of the United States, by the way. And you measure a million people and you learn some things, right? And what we learned scientifically but just in practical terms because i'm an obsessively practical nerd (laughs) is that i mean come on guys let's face it if we can't use it what the heck's the point right so it it comes down to your core and your core is the four core dimensions of aq are control ownership reach and endurance and i turn them into four core questions and these four core questions you can use for anything with anyone at any time and it's simply this Whatever it is, number one, control. What are the facets of the situation that you can potentially influence to at least increase the chances it turns out better than you think, right? So that's control. What are the facets of the situation? You can't control this thing. There's a lot of this we can't control. But there are so many, financially, emotionally, physically, mentally, relationally, professionally, I mean, oh my gosh, there are boundless facets of the situation that we could potentially influence each and every one of us to at least increase the chances you're writing a good story right now, right, a positive one. And then the second one, ownership. You know, Eric, you're, you've always been an exemplar. Dave, I know in your leadership in No Barriers, you're an exemplar on this because you can't turn this off, guys. I know you guys too well, which is – Ownership is the step-up factor, and it asks the question: You know, how likely are you to step up to do anything to make it better, kind of regardless of your job description? Oh my gosh, can you imagine a time in history where that has mattered more than right now? I mean, have you guys seen some of these spring breakers, these dudes <laughs> who are just going, "Hey yep. man, they can't make teach, make me stop partying." <laughs> that's like the anti-ownership response <laughs> we're talking about their
2: dysfunction.: what's that they're owning their dysfunction
1: they're owning their dysfunction yeah they're owning their detrimental role to humanity right. so but the ownership question is this where and how can i where and how can we you step up to make the most immediate positive difference in the situation and that could be for the people who are hardest hit it could be for the people you're cohabitating with it could be for the people who are alone and and can't go shopping down the street or in the apartment next to you it could be for you know just virtually you know when you're on a zoom meeting or zoom call with people which everyone's getting the zoom boom right and i think my tush is getting zoom bloom right now but (laughs) (laughs) but uh you know when you're on that call how much energy do you bring to that call yeah what effect are you having on the other people are you just passively listening and going along are you are you making it better because you were there i mean it's that simple right so that's ownership and then Reach, which is what you talked about with the with the bleeding toe, <laughs> that's a great analogy. Reach asks the question, when adversity strikes like this, how far do you perceive it, it reaches into and affects everything else? And with something this big, the immediate response be, gosh, doesn't it kind of seem to affect everything and anything at an ever more intensifying rate? Well, the two questions related to reach are... What can I do to help minimize the downside or contain the fallout, right? Well, owning your social distancing and doing the right things and all that stuff is one way, isn't it? And we can all do that. But also, there's so many other ways, emotionally, relationally, even physically. Like, you know, I've been doing, you know, the Wim Hof breathing system, right? You know, this crazy bastard who teaches people to cold plunge and ice ice baths and, and do this breathing thing that he does. And I went and saw him in Iceland because I thought I got to see the Iceman in Iceland and, and did his whole thing and learned it and everything. It's stunning. And, and, and the science behind it's really good. So why am I intensifying my Wim Hof breathing every day? Because it can strengthen my immune system. It can, it can enhance my chances of not getting this disease. And so I'm owning my responsibility and trying to minimize any potential fallout for me and my family by doing my part, right? And it starts with me. So minimize the outside, and then Eric, you know, you know this. We talked about this so much. The Powerball question. I mean, you guys, you know, the Powerball question and all this that no one asks, and it seems like sacrilegious to say this, you know, when you face something this bad. But the question on reach is. What can you do to maximize the potential upside of this adversity? Now that seems crazy when we're talking about body counts just doubling every three days. How can you dare ask a question like, how do you maximize the upside? But what are the potential upsides? You know, what if Eric, what if no barriers? What if no barriers was more recognized, more focused, more powerful more impactful because of this pandemic and what you guys are doing it i mean the world needs no barriers now more than ever right um and then the final part guys is the e is about endurance and this one matters so much because we're being intentionally strung along and i don't mean this in a derogatory way But we're being intentionally strung along about how uh, the duration of this pandemic. Right. Right. I mean, one of the top Harvard brains out there just two days ago said, "Plan for two years." Right. Plan for this being reality for two years, and so no one's saying that because it would crush us. You know, people would be crushed. But the point is, not how long will it endure, but what can you do to at least increase the chances that you get through the worst of this as quickly as possible. And even if that means that we're living a new normal with new habits, how do you get the hardest part through the hardest part of that for you and the people you care about as quickly as possible, whether that's your business or your team, whether that's your loved ones, whether that's just, just you, and, and there's so much we can do every day to help get through the worst of this as quickly as possible. So if you put it together and you go, wow, okay, no matter what comes at me, I'm thinking, what are the facets of the situation I could at least potentially influence to at least increase the chances this turns out okay? How, Where and how can I step up to gain the most immediate positive traction? And and what can I be doing now, just like an oil spill, to, to Put down the booms and minimize the downside or the fallout. And what can we be doing together maybe to maximize any potential upside here? And how do we get through the worst of this as quickly as possible? If that haunts you, and by the way, you can ask any one of those questions out of any sequence all by itself or together, it doesn't matter. Then if that haunts you, you begin to strengthen your core response to this and any adversity and then it becomes fuel, and you find yourself stronger and more purposeful because this is happening. And that's what the—that's why I start off, Dave, by being mentally deranged and telling you, "I'm actually kind of fired up by what's happening right now."
2: And then you also talk about catastrophizing. You know, this—you know—we kind of freak out about things like my buddy watching CNN um, and how the amygdala sort of plays off the frontal cortex and. You know, how, so, so I know that that's a really important part of the science of the behavior that you're talking about. How do you fight that?
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a really interesting mechanism there. You know, you're right. You know, what you feed is what grows, right? And so if you feed your amygdala, and the amygdalas, you know, that primal reptilian brain we know so well, Anybody who does extreme adventure stuff like you, Eric, has this really special relationship with their amygdala because, you know, that's where fear, panic, rage, lust, and they're all extremes. They're all like all on or off. So when someone's having what we would call, in our vernacular, kind of a low-AQ meltdown, which is totally valid, it's not that it's wrong, it's understandable, But when they're having that, that's happening deep in that base of the brain and the amygdala. As soon as you ask, you know, sort of given this whole situation, what's the one thing you care about most? Or when you ask, you know, what evidence is there it has to turn out that way to answer those kinds of questions or the four core questions There's only one place you can go in the brain to answer those questions, and that's the prefrontal cortex, which happens to be the most advanced part of the brain, and where all reasoned decisioning happens. So that process of with one question, shifting a person from their amygdala to their prefrontal cortex, I call that an override. So with one question, you're taking them from a place that can be embarrassing and horrifying, to a place where reasoned decisions happen and you've you preserve their dignity. And that's one of the greatest gifts of, of really using these tools with others is it's a dignity enhancing methodology. And I care very deeply, especially in times like this, that we do everything we can to help enhance each other's dignity. So that's what that override mechanism in the brain is meant to do and why it's so powerful. And what is that one question again for our listeners? Well, the question I, I ask people all the time, there's two that are part of a tool we teach called the lead sequence. One of the tools, when someone's kind of catastrophizing, which is like a psychologist's word for an emotional oil spill. You know, it's like, and this is happening, and this is going this, and it's only getting worse and everything else. We know we're being manipulated deliberately to keep our viewership, our eyeballs on those newscasts. So what you need to do is be deliberate about your dose. So for example, in the line of work that I'm doing, where I'm coaching a lot of senior leaders and companies and people around the world are out there, adversity response. I need to stay informed. So my wife and I will watch, you know, half hour to an hour of news every evening. We're actually watching news, which we never do. Um, and turning off all the sites during the day, because you know what? Watching the body count go up doesn't help anybody. Right. So, turning off manage the dose is a really important part so there's the trigger on the amygdala
2: And but the, your hormones like your adrenaline and all these like you know harmful hormonal responses right
1: oh my gosh i mean yeah. what it's what it's doing to your stress response so you you guys know this because stress response you know when we look at it evolutionarily was built to be a high octane release of hormones and neurotransmitters that was supposed to compel immediate action. And, and it came in doses with sporadic doses, with big spaces in between, right? Yeah. Well, today, because of the way things work in the world and the amount of stimulus that we get with these kinds of news sites and everything else, you're getting these stress response pulses so chronically with no recovery that you are literally draining... You're literally draining your adrenal glands and some of the other hormonal uh, functions that we're starting to realize, they think it even may be influencing the rate of type 2 diabetes. So because of the neurochemistry that's being manipulated, you have to fight back by owning your neurochemistry. And you have to kind of say, I'm going to take that in measured doses at a time of day when it induces the least downside. And just so I stay informed, and then the, I'm going to dedicate the rest of that time to taking meaningful action or, or doing the things that are hopefully healing and helpful and restorative and regenerative in the world. That's a good way to go. And then the other question is because people with lower AQs think that all of this you know everything they're hearing you know is is uh inevitable. like there's this inevitable nature to this. So, for you personally, I understand that could happen, but at this point, what evidence is there it has to turn out that way? And if the answer is you don't have to be homeless because you lost your job and you can't pay your rent, then the question is specifically, what could you do to at least increase the chances that you turn out okay? You know? And there are a lot of answers to that question. So, as long as there's potential for what we call action traction, as long as there's potential for that, then you can stay resilient and, and gritty and strong. And that's what we want to
2: do. Do you suggest that people like write? How do they organize this? Like, should they keep a notebook and start really measuring this stuff and writing th- thoughts around core? How, how would you suggest people do? when they're sitting out in their, in the, in their house.
1: You know, I, you know, Eric, you and I talk a lot about the power and the potency of just being on rope. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the climbing world, that deep, ah, oh, unmatched interdependence. And what I like about it is to have kind of a, almost like being a, who are you on rope with? So like with my wife, I just said, babe, let's make a pact, you know, here are the four core questions and I've got to make sure I'm practicing what I preach. I would love you any moment that you think my response could be even better, just ask me one of these or point at it, you know? And if I, you do that for me and I do that for you, then we can get kind of shore up our, our core response to anything and everything together, not just alone, you know? But if you are alone, you know, you can have those four core questions haunt you and you can you pull it out like a mini Swiss Army knife. Cause remember, a Swiss Army knife isn't just a survival tool, it helps you get stuff done. You know, and so that's part of what this core is meant to do is help you get better stuff done more quickly and effectively than you otherwise would. Mm.
2: And as you're thinking about your relationship with adversity, I know one of the things that you teach folks and we've we've taught folks together even is this hierarchy of our response to adversity. You know, most people just think, oh, I got to just like get through it. I got to survive it. But you talk about this incredible continuum of how we respond as you move up the ladder.
1: Well, I I mean, again, You're such an exemplar of it, and here's the premise. Let's just give it to you right between the eyes or the ears, as the case may be. We've been missing it. We've been blowing it. We've been off the mark. We've been screwing up, and here's what I mean. We've had the wrong language when it comes to adversity because everybody's going, oh, you know, he's really good at overcoming adversity, or he always Bust through adversity, or, you know, he always overcomes obstacles, or he always, you know, uh, whatever. So, what we did in our research is we found out that there's this continuum, like a mountain almost from like a, you know, the top is pointy at the bottom is wide. The bottom level is avoiding it. So, that's all the spring breakers going, screw this, I'm out of here, let's party, right? The next level up is what we call surviving and that's when you come out the other side and go wow you know i'm still here and it, i'll tell you if you've got a severe case of covid-19 and you come out alive that's the that's your first hope is just get through it alive but then even so life so quickly asks okay now what right so for most of us that's what i meant about your your pandemic narrative do you want it by default to just be you made it through is that what you want it to be? Because if, if we don't change, that's what it'll be for most people. I made it
2: through. Yeah, you just did this crisis, and you're maybe just the same place or worse than when you started it, right?
1: Or you have the best excuse in the world for being worse off. Well, given what happened, you know, I mean, blah, blah, blah. And that may be true. Financially, a lot of people are going to be worse off. Yeah. I know your business and my business have both taken huge hits. Gut punches, right? But that doesn't mean that's our destiny. And then, so the next level up, the middle level is the one I hate the most. Oh, makes me pull no, my non existent hair out, which <laughs> is coping. And psychologists love this word. You know, if you go to the self help section of the bookstore, you know, you got coping with pain, coping with loss, coping, 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 coping. You know, and they'll even say, like, it's a really nice thing, Dave. You're a really good coper, you know? Well, you know what coping looks like? Watch young parents with babies get on an airplane. They're coping. (laughs) You know, does that look like fun to you? I mean, coping means physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you're keeping your head above water. Like you're coping and dealing, coping and dealing. Well, I'm sorry. Is that the legacy you want to leave? So the next level up, and, and you know, hey, great, I, I've had this privilege of teaching at Harvard Business School and MIT and Stanford and Carnegie Mellon, all these great, esteemed schools. They teach, every one of them has some protocol they teach for what we call managing adversity. So you take this specific adversity and apply these problem-solving protocols to manage that adversity. I got news for you guys. We're not going to damage control our way to greatness. We're not going to manage our way to greatness here. So what do the people like Eric Weinmayer do? What do the people who score at the freakish top of the bell curve on AQ do differently that we can all begin to mimic and master starting now? Well, they do what you and I have been preaching about for years, which is like alchemists. They convert this adversity into fuel, That propels them to a place they never would have got to without that adversity. And we call that harnessing. So here's the test. It's brutal. You ready? The test for knowing if you harness adversity is this. If you look back at some point in the future and honestly can say, thank God that happened, that adversity, because without that, I'd never be who I am. We'd never be where we are if that adversity hadn't happened. And if you can say that, I think you harnessed it. And that's the highest aspiration, is how do you use it in a way to be fundamentally better off because it happened? And in my entire life, I have never seen one that lends greater opportunity to do that, to harness in small ways and big ways than this one.
2: You know, I apply that to my own life constantly. Like, I'm not gonna overcome blindness, right? Like, I'm, I'm never gonna overcome this thing unless there's some kind of medical cure, which is very unlikely, right? But harnessing it, right? Looking at the reality of it, leaning in, attacking it, and really trying to figure out how to create some kind of advantage out of my situation. That's like amazing stuff, so harnessing. So I like that. So what what's a good example of how maybe you've seen people in this time harnessing adversity? Have any good examples of some people that have shined?
1: Yeah, in so many ways. Um you know, I, I'm really I'm really pleased with uh what I'm seeing honestly in my own son and, and his wife Katie and their family out in, in Charlottesville, Virginia, because they've two really intense careers and and they had their kids in daycare, which was hurting them. You know, it hurt their hearts to do it, but they knew that was the only way and and their kids were doing pretty good with that and everything. But but the truth of the matter is as soon as this began to hit, they just made this pact. And just said, how do we use this to make this like the best time ever for these kids? And they have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, you know? And they have been creating, you know, ninja courses in the house and creating, you know, taekwondo classes and music classes. And they just learned to ride bikes for the first time yesterday. And they're doing all these different kinds of things. The kids, honestly, so far, their pandemic story is going to be best time of our lives. Most, you know, I mean, if they could remember all this, they would say that was like the greatest time. And that's when our family really forged the closeness and humor and love and affection and all that that we have right now. So they're harnessing it because the world's stopped.
2: I love like Little House on the Prairie, but with internet, right?
1: <laughs> totally. Totally. And uh and I think even their like pets are happier, you know? So uh instead of just being, you know, shut ins who are miserable and and uh starting to smell, they decided to uh do it to be, you know, happier and healthier than they otherwise would have been before it happened.
2: Do you think business like, you know, because the world's just getting crushed, like my brother owns a gym and it's all shut down. Do you think there's a way? for the business world to harness something like this. And and I know that's so unique and individual and so personal to every person, right?
1: There is, I think, you know, the, the magnitude of difficulty depends on what you do and what you, what you're in. I mean, if you run a hotel, you know, and your hotel's out of business or a restaurant or a bar or, you know, retail shop and you're sole proprietor and you're shut down for the foreseeable future and you have no money coming in and you have to eventually lay everybody off. It's pretty tough to harness this adversity right now, right? Um, but if there are lessons in efficiencies and relationships and loyalties with customers and, and contributions in the community and other things that you can be doing now that um, as we come out the other side of this, have you be even stronger because it happened. And frankly, it's more gratifying to be doing what I do because this happened. Then you harnessed it. The harnessing doesn't happen in a day. It, take, it happens over time. You know, So like next week, I'm doing this crazy digital conference for 5,000 people from around the world. And then the theme of the conference is the future of hospitality. Hmm. And we're actually going to take on the challenge of how do you end up better off because this happened, you know? And the, the TED Talk I did, Eric, you, know, you heard me talk about that with global climate change. You know, how do we harness that adversity to have the planet and us end up better off because of the adversity we're facing right now? So I do believe we can do it with anything and everything, and I think there are everyday examples of it happening all around us. I think there are a lot of people are finally getting a chance to kind of think about contributing to their own darn neighbors and to their own darn community, and just trying to do the right thing to, you know, have things come out better and stronger. I think our community is doing that, and and there are a lot of. I think our community may come out of this having harnessed it in some ways.
2: Uh, We have a board member who talks about ripping off the Band-Aids and really trying to look at things in a real way. And um, I think every organization should be having this conversation if they haven't already. Not how are we going to survive this, but how are we going to harness this crisis to come out better in some way? and and more about a tiny bit more about the science paul about the stakes here right because i know you've done a lot of research with this idea that the better you respond to this stuff like the longer you're going to live i mean when when you look at it like that in the face of this virus right like these are pretty high stakes in terms of learning this stuff right
1: it doesn't get much higher to be honest um we found, you know, in all these studies we've done for all these years, all independent studies, that some of the things, and I'll just skate across it, that AQ predicts and drives in a human being are performance, productivity, capacity, problem solving, innovation, energy, effort, size of goals, you, health, fulfillment, optimism, longevity, how long you live, and, and, on and on and on. So you know, my favorite moment is when we teach this stuff, and this kind of says it all, and I ask people, are you ready for the big question? And these could be the biggest cynics in the world. And I'll say, now you know what this is. Here's the big question. When you think of all the factors that influence your happiness, well-being, and success, which ones are in some way affected by your AQ, there's always this pause, and the whole room kind of goes, all of them. So we have this epicenter. And if we can just focus on and master one thing that can fortify and enhance everything else, here we are. And what better time to do it than we face epic adversity?
2: Well, my last question, Paul, is like something I've always been curious about, which is, you know, you.
1: Why am I so good looking? And how would you know?
2: Even blind, I can tell how good looking you are. Just your. I've, aura.
1: I've been Dave. I've been secretly telling Eric that for about twenty-three years now. So
2: <laughs> this question is like, okay, you talk about this from science and behavior and how the brain works, mm-hmm. but there's an art to this, this alchemy, mm-hmm. this adversity advantage concept, right? It's it's in, in my mind, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I just feel like it's a combo the equation is science and art because people have tainted this idea the depth of it uh by saying things like you know let's make lemonade out of lemons or let's look on the bright side right like you see an <laughs> avalanche right down the mountain about to crush you and you're like you don't turn to your buddy and say look on the bright side they're right so to me like okay so you right. talked about This wrestling team that you're working with. They're going to miss the Olympics. That's stunning, right? That's crushing. I was talking to Princeton football team, and I had this giant guy afterwards who comes over and starts crying on my shoulder. He's like, look, I had a knee injury. I rehabbed my knee like crazy. I trained Mm. for an entire uh, year to get back to the team. This year, I'm the captain. First practice, I re-injured my knee. My career is over. And I was like, dude. I'm not telling you that like adversity advantage means you just like um think hard enough and positively enough that your knee is going to be fixed and you're going to be the captain of your team and you're going to go on to, you know, uh, the NFL. That's not the message, right? It's he's got to figure out a way to find something new, something beneficial in that completely shitty Thing that's happened to him. And that seems to me like something you could spend a lifetime trying to decipher. And you have. Yes. I mean,
1: you're, <laughs> a lot of us have. Yeah, but I mean, so, okay, you got dealt some legitimate misfortune that a lot of people would use to define themselves and be crushed and be victimized by the rest of their lives. And it would become the center point of their narrative. And their excuse for being less than they otherwise could be. And no one would fault them. You should see me
2: bitch when nobody's around. What's that? You should see me bitch when nobody's around.
1: No, that's what's beautiful about this (laughs) kind of virtual technology is there's an off button. You know, it's so cool. (laughs) Um, But all kidding aside, you know, you're right. We all are starting from where we are right now. And that right now can change pretty dramatically, pretty quickly. And the thing about your adversity quotient is that you take it with you everywhere, all the time, no matter what. And so whatever happens, whatever it is, no matter how dire, how you respond is all you got. How you respond is everything. And so if you can own and master that, you have just put yourself on the path to make the absolute best of the absolute worst. There's no other way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that guy who's the football player, right? He's got he's to dig deep, right? And figure out, okay, where's the beauty? Where does the, the strength come from? to move forward in a different way, right? And maybe out of that suffering, maybe out of that contemplation, something good can happen to him.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I really rail against the fact that we've made anxiety and depression, ailments that are like sicknesses that people and syndromes, you know, they're also frankly emotions that are entirely natural. And it is totally okay and often very healthy to have some anxiety and it's often very healthy to have some, to be a bit depressed about something, especially something like that. Because if you're going to turn in the storm and feel it fully, it's probably going to be pretty depressing for a while, right? Thing about AQ is the stronger your AQ gets, you can go all the way down and and it's brief and then you use it to catapult you out, Right. You don't stay down and stay mired and broken because it happened. So honestly, you know, what you're talking about is is everyone's story. We all got our version of that, guys. You know, every one of us listening to this thing right now is going to have your setback, your pain, your suffering, your obstacle, some injustice, something unexpected, whatever it may be, something that could seem so crippling, what we do with that. You know, allowing yourselves to feel it fully and then taking it from there, you know, you build it by response by response, step by step. You know, the core path that you lay down is is what's gonna give you the strength and fortitude going forward. And then over time, if you can look back and say, I harnessed that, I'm 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 better, richer, stronger because that happened, then you did it. You know, and that's what we all have to strive to do and be, especially in a world with 7.8 billion people, right? we got to kind of do our part. we got to own what we do with our adversities so we can help other people with theirs.
2: Mm. That's a wrap ball, man. I'm almost about to cry. That's good. <laughs> I needed to hear that.
1: Yeah. Well, like I said, I I really screwed up, guys. I picked a field of study and endeavor for my life that Beats the shit out of me every day, humbles me every day, and requires me to practice my own stuff. I mean, what was I thinking? You know?
2: <laughs> You're like a marriage counselor. Like, you know, people only go to you when things are really bad. <laughs> yeah, they all
0: need Paul when they get to their worst. Yeah, go to Paul. it's like, yeah, talk to the
1: adversity guy. And then I get yeah, these right? things. I get people at the breaks, Eric, who come up and go, I got one for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know what's about yeah. to come, right? Um, yeah. How come you didn't
2: write a book called The Joyful uh, uh, um, Adversity uh, uh, Factor?
1: I know. I should have written the <laughs> Ebullience Quotient or something.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I, oh, I'm yeah, just telling funny.
1: you, I totally screwed up. Yeah.
0: Well, Paul, I love how you started this conversation off with that idea. What do we want our pandemic story to be? What do we want out of this on the other side? What can this, you know, without this pandemic, I never would have what? I feel like I'm gonna go ask that to my kids over dinner tonight, I'm gonna ask that to my wife. How do we change the the narrative into something that, you know, where is that opportunity for us? While still recognizing it doesn't it doesn't um, diminish the fact that yeah. know, some of us know people who have died from it. Some of us know people who have it now who are very sick. Yeah, but what is the narrative that we can control? And I think that's a really powerful message for our listeners. So Paul, it's been a real honor to get your time here uh, and to give get some of the insights that you have learned through your entire career and taught to millions of people. Um, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, guys, it's such a privilege. I mean, I can think of no better cause, and I can
1: think of no uh, nothing the world needs more right now than to really, really marinate in and adopt the no-barriers mindset. Uh, we all need this. You guys can make a hell of a difference, and I'm just delighted to play a small part, guys. Great to join up with you.
0: Cool. Thanks, Paul. All right, Eric, let's do our thing. Yeah. I mean, that— that that whole message
2: spoke for itself. I mean, there's very li- little I could add, but I mean, I think Paul's message speaks so clearly and strongly, um, but I'll just reemphasize one thing, and that is what he talked about in terms of what the stakes are, right? Like, you know, look, I mean, we're bleeding right now, right? But w- we have to figure out how to not overcome this, right? Because we're not going to overcome a virus, but how to harness it. And the, and, and and the way we do that it is going to really be a factor, it's probably the most powerful factor out there in terms of our happiness, our satisfaction, our productivity, our creativity, our innovation, our longevity, you know, like how long we live, our immune system. Like, the, this is really high stakes.
0: Yeah, and I think the thing I, I will take away and go do tonight, as I mentioned, that I think is something all of us could do is kind of look at what you want your pandemic story to be invite your family into that conversation what's what do you want to take away from this that where's the opportunity um i think i have personally a lot of opportunity to spend more time with my kids in this time when school just got canceled for the rest of the year but what do we want our own personal pandemic story to be and how much can we control uh it to be something really positive for ourselves and um, I know that's not the position some people are in, but for me, I at least have that that ability to pause.
2: Yeah. As Paul said, that's the ink that we use to write the story, right? That's the catalyst that brings us to some new place. And what I told Paul, and I really do believe that there's kind of an art to this, right? It's not all just behavior and science. There's an art to like really diving deep and saying, okay, how am I going to come out of this as a better person? I mean, that's... Yep. That's something that you don't answer in two seconds. So true.
0: Well, I'd like to offer a very special thanks to our generous sponsors, Wells Fargo and Prudential, who co-created the idea for this podcast series with us. And so we are grateful for their support. We'll see you next week as we continue to explore how we can all bring a no-bearer spirit to our lives at a time when I think we'd all agree we need it. Thank you. All right. No barriers. The production team behind this podcast includes senior producer Pauline Schaefer, executive producer, Diedrich Jonk, sound design, editing, and mixing by Tyler Kotman, graphics by Sam Davis, and marketing support by Megan Lee and Carly Sandsmark. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and we appreciate you spending it with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at NoBarriersPodcast.com. And see-